Hello, and welcome to The Premise. I'm Jennifer Thompson. Today, I'm excited to bring you an interview that I conducted a few weeks back with an author who is brought to us via Zoom from Warwick's Books in La Jolla. Enjoy. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. And you are so kind to uh, to be my interviewer for this, Jennifer. So thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, I'm excited. I, I'm just sad we're not in person, so we can't, you know. I know. And you grew up in Southern California, so this has got to be a bit of a... I did not. That is this pervasive rumor that's going around. It's really Oh, it's just because you went to funny. USC that people say that. Yeah, I went to SC and I got a lovely piece written in the San Diego Union uh, Tribune. Tribune, which is where I read it. (laughs) Yeah, that said that, uh, no, so uh, I went to USC. I think the confusion may be that uh, my dad is a no longer active Marine Uh and he had gone through Pendleton. My dad's sister, my aunt, and her kids grew up, uh, or uh, she raised her children, my cousins on Coronado. So I spent a lot of time visiting my cousins on Coronado. Uh, but I grew up in the Midwest in Chicago. Okay. 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 That's but Scott Harvath, my protagonist, grew up on Coronado. Right. Which is why Even his better. mom is in Coronado. Correct. 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 Yeah. Well, let's let's jump into your bio because I this is this is exciting. I am honored <laughs> to interview you, and it's it, you're a pretty impressive individual. So, for our listeners, Brad Thor is the number one New York Times bestselling author. of 20 thrillers, including his latest novel, Near Dark, available now at warwicks.com and wherever books are sold, as well as Backlash, Spymaster, The Last Patriot, nominated Best Thriller of the Year by the International Thriller Writers Association, Blowback, one of the top 100 killer thrillers of all time, according to NPR, and The Lions of Lucerne, to name just a few. Brad has served as a member of the Department of Homeland Security's Analytic Red Cell Unit, which explains a lot. He has also lectured to law enforcement organizations on over the horizon, future threats, and has been a keynote speaker for the National Tactical Officers Association Annual Conference. In 2008, Brad shadowed a black ops team in Afghanistan to research his thriller, The Apostle. Brad graduated cum laude from the University of Southern California, where he studied creative writing, film, and television production, Prior to becoming a novelist, Brad was the award-winning creator, producer, writer, and host of the critically acclaimed national public television series, Traveling Light. That is a mouthful. I had to cut it. Yeah, and you had to cut it. That isn't even the full bio. So you got to go check out his full bio. But listen, let's get down to Near Dark. We don't have a lot of time. Excellent book. I have it behind me here. I I should bring it up further, and we'll, we'll show it again later. Such a good book. So... Near Dark picks up where Backlash left off. In this book, our hero, Scott Harbeth, is a bit of a train wreck, and and he's depicted as the hunted, not the hunter. So what was it like to make your hero so vulnerable in this book? It's a bit of a departure from your other books. It is. And just to start out, Jennifer, what I tell people is my books are like the James Bond movies. You don't need to have ever seen one of the movies before to go out and see the brand new one. So uh, while Harveth is a series protagonist, I make each book, I write each book so that they can stand alone. So uh, great if you read Backlash, last summer's book, but if you haven't, you can dive right in with 
with Near Dark. I always want to tell people that so they don't feel like, oh my gosh, it's 19 books. I got to read all of them from the beginning. You don't have to. Well, Great let if you me want say to. something. Let me say something yeah. about that because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit this is the first thriller I've ever read. Wow. And the first book I've ever read by you, obviously. And as I was reading it, I was thinking to myself, is this a series? Because it's so well contained and the development is so great. I, I, but I kept thinking this must be a thriller. This character is so great. There must be, you know, so well done. Well done. But, but tell us, what, what was it like to make your, your character so vulnerable in this book? Well, it was interesting. Yeah. One of the things I love the most about being an author is you can always get better. Uh, you can always hone your craft. Uh, mm. So the, the goal for me is to, people have said, well, how has Harvath changed over the books? And I said, he hasn't changed. I've changed as the writer. I've gotten better at showing people more parts of Harvath. And that is a big challenge if you are uh, writing a character that repeats in each book. How do you reveal a little bit more? Mm -hmm. of uh of the series protagonist i remember my wife saying several years ago when i was starting to make this pivot she said i can tell now you're doing something differently and i said how can you tell and she said well i've always known what he thinks now i'm starting to see what he feels mm -hmm. and i thought okay that's great you know great feedback so uh what's funny is jennifer i agonized particularly last year and this year over what to reveal about Harvath, particularly mm. the pain and uh, the darkness that had grown in him. And is it too much? Is it not enough? You know, there's no manual out there that teaches you as a writer, do this on page three, by chapter 15, have completed this. You don't know. You really, and I, I didn't coin this, but you really are drawing order out of chaos. And you don't know if any of it works until the end until it's done and you hand it over to people to read, whether it's your editor or your spouse or your writer's group, whatever it may be. So it was, I really felt like, oh my gosh, I'm outside my comfort zone, particularly with these last two books, but they've been some of the most critically acclaimed I've ever written in my career. So it's great feedback to get that I'm doing something uh, right. So it was uncomfortable writing this book uh, and taking Scott Harvath to this dark place but it seemed like the bill had to come due with everything he's done, with everything that had been stripped from him. He had to hit bottom at some point. And then the question becomes, does he bounce? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And he does, but not too perfectly either. I want to point out that, you know, you, you did it so well where it feels real. And I mean, I don't think like, oh yeah, just another perfect hero story. Not at all. Like his vulnerability, his sensitivity. In fact, you know, one of my questions is actually about your wife. I love how sensitive Scott is depicted in this particular book. And I, and I love how you also write such strong female characters, which I was, I very much appreciated in this book. Um, there's several. There's not just one. There are several. Um, so my question is, are you a sensitive male? And number two, uh, does your wife get to weigh in on the female characters? Okay. So <laughs> uh, am I sensitive? I, to a certain degree, I am. I'm very empathetic. I care about the people around me. Uh, the second part of your question, no, my wife does not get to weigh in on the characters. She reads she reads them, but she, does, she doesn't develop the books with me or anything like that. The first time she'll see a manuscript is when it's complete. Um, yeah. So my goal with this was I've got about a 60% male, 40% female readership. And that female readership has been growing. Okay. And what, yeah, it has been. So what I wanted to do, I'm surrounded by incredibly intelligent 
very talented women, whether it's my wife, who's a physician, whether it's my editor, my agent, the VP at my company, and I have an incredibly brilliant and talented daughter. And female characters in my books have never been window dressing. They've never been sex objects or anything like that. They've always been integral to the solving of whatever the problem was in the book. My Mm -hmm. protagonist can't get to where he needs to go. He can't solve the problem in the book without the assistance of a strong, bright, brilliant, most of the time, uh, every time actually, female character. But what I wanted to do special with this one, and this is this was really interesting for me, I wanted to create a female character to ride herd alongside my male protagonist that was just as good, if not maybe better than he was. And uh, just as quick-witted, just as fearless, just as talented, just as experienced, and just as broken, too. This did not have to be some woman that swept in to rescue him from himself and all this kind of stuff. No, Mm -hmm. this was somebody who's very, very guarded and broken and all that kind of stuff. So I wrote this with the hope that it was really going to appeal to female readers and resonate with them. And what's funny is the book's only been out for a day, and a lot of my uh, readers have already read it. They Mm -hmm. super fast read. They've gone right through it. They've read it. And I've heard from tons of female readers. We love this Norwegian spy, Soldi yes. Kolstad. Yeah. But you know what's funny? I've heard from even more male readers that say, she's awesome. <laughs> I love her. One of the nice. best characters you've ever done, Brad. Awesome. So uh, it's great to hear it from both sides. Yeah, absolutely. This book does. I mean, I can see why people would read it in one sitting. I mean, it's brilliant how the end of every chapter is a cliffhanger. The end of every chapter, you're like, oh my God, I got to get to the next book. In fact, at one point I was reading and Chad, the, you know, the, my co-host on the premise was sitting in the room with me and I, I made him stop what he was doing. I said, listen, and I read him the last sentence of the first nine chapters. I'm like, what? look at this. Like each one just guides you into the next. So by the time you, you know it, the book's, the book's done. But, you know, I, I love the... Um, I, I love the history. I learned a lot. Like I learned a lot about Camp David. I, I assume it's true. Everything you've you, you know, what's, what's funny is, is that uh, I lived in LA when I went to the University of Southern California. And one of my neighbors uh, is an attorney. He was out of the Navy. He'd been a, he'd been a JAG attorney and everything. Super, super nice guy. And we were friends. Uh, and he's now the national security advisor. And I sent him, uh, so he works uh, in the White House, excuse me, and I sent him uh, an early copy of the book and he read it and he called me. He goes, when did you go to Camp David? <laughs> and I said, I've never been to Camp David. He goes, who did you talk to yeah. who worked at Camp David? I said, I can't tell you who my sources are. He's like, I'm the <laughs> national security advisor. You have to tell me. I'm like, lips are sealed. I'm not saying anything. And then it was really funny. I did, uh, I did uh, an event with the Reagan Library uh, up north of LA. And uh, the director of the library asked me, he said, when did you go to Camp David? He said, you nailed Camp David. Uh, so it's really, really funny that I've heard you know, from two people, two experienced people who said, you really got it. And I you said, got well, it. I've, I've got good contacts. And uh, so it's fun. You know, Jennifer, at the end of the day, my number one job is to entertain you. I want to give you a great escape now more than ever. I want right. people to open this book, forget about everything else that's going on in the world and just have a great, great ride. Yeah. But if you close the book 
and you've learned some things that I've peppered in there, that's the icing on the cake for me. That for me is a value add, a bonus, especially when you're not trying. This isn't a this isn't a textbook. I'm not a teacher. I'm just trying to give you fun. So that's neat that you took some cool things away from it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I, I was like, God, is this this is so good? Like, I felt like I was there, and I thought, Oh, well, it's clearly he's been there, or he's making it up, and I, it's really good. Another thing I, I wanted to mention in the book, there's a scene where they're talking, and there's this fear. I think it was uh, that if Russia invaded Lithuania, I think um, would America step in? And they're like, you know, mm-hmm. they might not. Americans are sick of war, and this mm-hmm. is the thing. I think I heard you say was in another book. Um, so I guess you're entertaining us, but I think you're also trying to impart, um, a, a, you know, there's some politics that come into play. Is that true? Uh, absolutely. You can't do the espionage stuff without the politics mm-hmm. because politics and espionage are intertwined. Politics and warfare are intertwined. As long as we've gotten together and picked up good rocks that will throw good at the other tribe, and sharpen sticks, there's been politics involved. Right. So this idea, as everyone has been focused on some different geopolitical things, I've been really concerned about the state of NATO, uh, particularly mm-hmm. because we are very war-weary in this country because we've been at war for so long in Afghanistan and Iraq. And I really kind of picked up my head and took notice when Russia invaded Crimea uh, and basically nothing happened to them. They got to yeah. take it. Mm-hmm. And we had actually signed an agreement with Ukraine saying, because a third of the, of the Soviet uh, nuke arsenal was in Ukraine after the breakup of the Soviet Union. And we said, please, please, if you allow us to help you decommission these weapons, we will promise you nobody will ever invade you. We will protect you. And the Ukrainians said, okay, get Russia to sign this agreement too. And we're like, Okay, but you know, agreement with Russia doesn't mean anything. They're like, just get them to sign it. The fact that America is going to protect us. And then the Russians took it and we did nothing. I mean, we threw them out of the G8 and there were strongly worded letters and all this kind of stuff. But what it did was it empowered Russia. And so as I have my thriller writer hat on, I Mm -hmm. look at these small NATO member states on the Baltic, places that a lot of Americans couldn't find on a map, maybe have never even heard of, much less would they want their sons and daughters going there to bleed and die. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, okay, what would a smart nation do? Well, if they knew this, they'd probably say, how do we avoid being dragged into war? Because we're all member, we're member of NATO and article five of the NATO treaty says an attack on one is an attack on all. We have to come to the defense of our fellow NATO countries. And that article has only, the trigger on that has only been pulled once. And we did it after 9-11. We asked all our NATO partners to help us in Afghanistan. So I just thought that was the new Cold War. That's the new area. That's the hot thing to be writing about. And um, that's how I got in there. So you, you wouldn't think somebody putting Lithuania in a book would be sexy, but hopefully I've done it in such a way that it's fun and it's engaging. And you're like, oh boy, I hope this never happens. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, I, I definitely paid attention to that. And I was like, hmm. And I mean, how much do you think pop culture has a responsibility to educate and make people aware of things like this that are happening around the world? Well, I think artists have a way of crystallizing things and making them easy to understand. I think that's yeah. why in totalitarian regimes, uh, the tyrants come for the artists and the educators first. Amen to that. They, yeah, they pose the greatest threat. They're able to boil things down and make it understandable for people. Uh, mm-hmm. And so uh, 
my number one job is to entertain. So I'm not necessarily, again, it's not a textbook. I'm not trying to get on a soapbox. My, my job is, is to make people lose themselves for however long it takes to, to write a book. But I think the bedrock of a thriller, a good thriller, are getting the details right and also giving people a plot that could explode on their doorstep tomorrow. That it can that actually kind of, Exactly. So I do international thrillers and I'm dealing, like I said, with espionage and special operations. And so the politi- the geopolitical is part of that. I can't, I don't make up countries and they stole a nuke from this country. I, I don't want to deal in the fantasy. I want to give people a, I want to take them right up to the hedgerow and let them peer over into that real world mm-hmm. and see how it works. And then I love hearing, whether it's from SEALs on Coronado or people at Fort Bragg with, with Delta, I love having people say, man, you nailed it. This is exactly the kind of stuff either this is the gear we used, you're, you nailed the tactics, or you know what, you're dealing with some of the inner office stuff that we have to deal with that's kind of hampering us from doing the job, or you nailed what our families are dealing with at home while we're overseas or you know, so again, it's, I'm supposed to keep you turning those pages. If I'm doing that, I'm doing my job. And if you close the book smarter and having learned a couple of things, then that for me makes me bonus. feel really happy because yeah. yeah, I've tried to give you a bonus too. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm so glad that I got to read it and I get to have this awesome conversation with you. Well, I want to go back to your wife. Mm-hmm. She's played an integral part my understanding in, in you becoming a best-selling thriller writer. So absolutely. Can you talk to us about how you met your wife and how that transpired? So I met my wife at a wine tasting party in Chicago. I was doing my TV show living overseas, came home and I had a rule the first three days I'm home. I don't make any dinner plans. I don't go out after five o'clock because of the time difference. I was always wiped out asleep by six. And yeah. I thought it was rude to make plans to go out even with friends because I'd be falling asleep at the table. See, you are a sensitive man. See? I, yeah, well, yeah, my, my, <laughs> really my dad and mom <laughs> raised me to be polite and respectful of other people. My dad, the Marine, and my mom, the flight attendant. Uh, so I, I bumped into a friend. He said, I'm having this wine tasting party. And something inside me said, go. Mm. Normally, my answer was no. Because he's like, hey, it's tomorrow night. And normally, I'd be like, no. But I said, yes. And I did not know that what they were trying to do was get all their single friends together to see who they could pair off. (laughs) So I went, I met my wife, uh, we ended up uh, getting married. And on our honeymoon, she asked me, what on your deathbed would you regret never having done? And I said, writing a book and getting it published. I was in TV at the time. And she said, okay, when we get home, you need to start devoting two hours a day, protected time to make that dream come true. And Mm -hmm. so that's what gave me... The push. I had started writing a novel after college and I got three chapters into it and decided I don't want to do this. And it wasn't that I didn't want to do it. I was afraid of failing. I was mm. afraid of the embarrassment of what if I take this year that I've saved up for during college to write and nobody likes the manuscript. I can't get it sold. What if it's a bad book? And we all have that terrible voice at different times in our head that say, don't risk the embarrassment. It's better that you don't even try, then you can't fail if you oh, don't try. Yeah, that happens so often. Yeah. So often. So when you when you took that first year and you dedicated those two hours a day, did you feel like I've got something? Did you feel good about it this time? It did feel good because the two hours actually grew to grew to three, grew to four, grew to five. <laughs> I was actually spending a lot stop. of time doing it. Yeah, it was <laughs> pouring out of me. It was pouring. It was like a dam had burst. Mm. Um, so yeah, it felt terrific. And finishing that first book, 
I felt like this is what people who run their first marathon or climb their first mountain must feel like. It always feels great to finish a book, but mm -hmm. it'll never feel as sweet as that first one because with the completion of that first one, I knew that no matter what happened, when I arrived at my deathbed, I would not look back and say, what if? How might yeah. my life have been different? What, what would life have been like if I'd only written a book? Because I had done it. So it was a really cool feeling. Yeah, that's awesome. And to have someone in your life who pushes you to follow your dreams explains why you've been married 24 years? Uh, we've been together 24. We've been married 21. Okay. Well, congratulations. Yeah. That's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, very cool. So you talked about your mom being a flight attendant. Um, mm -hmm. It just made me think of something. Scott Harvath, our, our character, he, he has something for Scandinavian flight attendants. Does this okay, has nothing to do with me and my mom. No, no, okay? no. I wasn't so going to. I'm, I'm not on the couch. I, I did, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Freud, there is no connection between Scott Harvath dating flight attendants and me and my mom just so happening to have been a flight attendant in the 60s. I didn't even know didn't my mom. Give me the idea. Really? She was an entrepreneur. No, okay. I, listen, I, I lived. In, so here's the deal. I lived in Greece uh, after my junior year abroad, a junior a semester abroad, my junior year. And then uh, another summer I lived in Greece and I knew several Scandinavian airlines flight attendants. So that's oh, okay. so just a total coincidence. That, yeah. <laughs> Total, total. I, mean, I could have made them race car drivers. It's just, I just happened. And it, it for me, it made sense because I kind of knew, I, I thought about Harvath was going to have relationships. I thought, A, that's a cool way to get the call sign, Norseman. It's kind of funny that, mm -hmm. that, that his buddies mm -hmm. in the SEAL community would call him Norseman because all he dated were Scandinavians. But there was also this underlying almost fear of commitment on Harvath's part. So what kind of person can you date where commitment's impossible? Basically mm -hmm. somebody who's geographically undesirable or somebody that comes, but then leaves, right? Yeah. He leaves all the time. So do they, they're not based in LA. They fly in and out of LA and see him when they come into town. So that kind of, that played on a different level that I thought really, really worked. There was no way they were going to ever make their schedules work. It was fun right. when it was fun. And that was it. It was never going to get serious. And that really summed up who Harvath was, particularly as a young SEAL. Well, I think it had to be that way too, because he's such a good guy. He's not going to just randomly date women and not call them back. So right. it ha I think it had to fit into the scenario of who he is as a person, at least the, the Scott that I've come to know. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard you say in an interview that everything happens for a reason and everything works out for the best. Mm -hmm. Where, where did you get that? And, and, and do you live your life by that? Like talk to us about yeah. that. I do. Um, I think I grew up hearing that in my house. My mom was very optimistic, very positive. She she had, we're not Hungarian, but I grew up in Chicago with terrible winters and, and I wouldn't want to wear a hat or a scarf because I thought it looked stupid. Uh, <laughs> and my mom would say, the cold has no eyes. The cold can't see you, uh, which is an old Hungarian saying, at least she told me. That, that it was. Um, but this, this idea of everything happens for a reason and it all works out for the best is, is something that I heard growing up all the time. And this was the joke with my wife, actually, during our honeymoon, because the last leg of our trip from Munich to Amsterdam was the only overnight train ride where we couldn't get a private compartment. And every city Hamlet, Berg, we went to uh, on our honeymoon. I was trying, I'd find a train station and say, has there been a vacancy? Can we get a private? Can we get a private? And I was ruining 
every day we were spending ridiculous amounts of time in train stations. And she said, you know, you're the one who tells all your friends, everything happens for a reason. And it all works out for the best. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's when I get tired of listening to them moan about their problems and want to shut them up. I tell them, don't worry, it all works out for the best. <laughs> um, and then it turned out that she was right. We ended up that last uh, overnight train compartment we shared was a lovely brother and sister from Atlanta, Georgia, who were fans of my travel show on public television. Hmm. And the sister uh, loved books. I love books. And so we talked about books all night, got very little sleep. And the next day she said, oh, by the way, you're going to go back to the States and film more of your TV show. And I said, well, actually, I've decided that I'm going to write a novel. And when we pulled into the train station in Amsterdam and went to trade business cards, I looked and she was the sales rep for Simon and Schuster. And she said, if you write that novel, yeah, I've been with them for 20 books. She said, if you write that novel and I read it and like it, I want to see if I can help you get published by Simon and Schuster. And it's because of the wonderful Cindy Jackson that I've been at Simon and Schuster. And of course the beautiful people at Simon and Schuster have become like family to me over 20 books. You know, I've been there that long, but it's that whole thing. And my wife said, you know, stop worrying about the overnights because everything happens for a reason and it all works out for the best. And, and boy, it, did it did. Yeah. It did. Wow. Yeah. That's like a fairy tale. Yeah. A lot happened on that honeymoon. <laughs> I'll tell you. Decided to write a book. <laughs> yeah. I already had a title. Found a publisher. TV show best. Oh, yeah, wait, so wait, I, I, wait. Tell us about the title. So I had filmed an episode uh, of my TV show, my travel show in Lucerne, Switzerland. And I love seeing the monument, the Lion of Lucerne. I love the alliteration. And I'd always said to myself, if I write a book, it's going to be called The Lions of Lucerne. I don't know how I'll get Switzerland into it, but that's going to be the title. So I started with the title. So I'd always had the title on my honeymoon. I tell my wife, yeah, my biggest desires to write a book. She said, fine, you're going to write it. We have the overnight compartment with the sales rep from Simon & Schuster says, I'd love to help you if you write a good book. And then uh, when we arrived in Amsterdam, it was pouring down rain. Our room wasn't ready. The lovely GM at the hotel wasn't ready because they were putting flowers and chocolates in there and everything for our honeymoon. Said, (laughs) there's a great cafe around the corner. Go have a coffee. Come back. Your room will be ready. We go and I'm looking for something to read. My wife always has a paperback with her. And I find a newspaper, English language, newspaper language. uh, And I read this little intelligence briefing about a Swiss intel officer who embezzled all this money from the Swiss army to train his own shadow militia high in the Alps with high-tech weapons from his own private arsenal. And I said, those are the lines of Lucerne. This is the story for my book. So everything came together on that trip. Wow. You found the love of your life. You found the hero of your book. Well, I found her three years previously. I was on my honeymoon with the love of my life. So. Okay. Well, you, you, you yeah. married her and yes. <laughs> this, what an incredible trip. That's, that yeah. is a fairy tale. So your name, I have to say, when I saw your name, I'm like, is this real? Brad Thor sounds like a thriller writer name. Yeah. No, I'm actually a junior, believe it oh, or really? not. So okay. yeah. Yeah, so it, it was stacks destiny. really well. It stacks yeah, great. It yeah, stacks great. I I can sign books quickly. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad I'm not like Stanislav Milosevic, you know, something right. like that. The third, you know, yeah, yeah, the third, where it would take me an hour to sign each person's book. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so you've written twenty one books at this point. Is that right? 20 books, 20, 19 Scott Harvath books. And then I did a spinoff one year that Harvath has a little cameo in. That's about an all female Delta force team called the Athena project. Yay. That's it. Yes. I'm very excited. I'm going to read this one next. It's the all female thing that, that, that got me. So I'm going to read this one next. Not to push your old books. We want to push the current book. No, but that's listen. It's, it's all in the family. So thank you. 
Yeah, this has been a real pleasure. I, I have two more questions, and I know we're running out of time. When you're writing your book, are you already thinking about the next book? No. Is it, no. No, I'm not an outliner. I have a very organic process, which can be tough. And mm -hmm. I always want to get better with each book. As I've said, I raise the bar because I don't believe that I'm working for anyone other than the readers. They're my bosses. I want to keep them happy. Uh, so I'm totally focused on the current book. And I, I don't even know from day, day to day what's going to happen next. I want the experience writing the book that the readers are going to have reading it. So I want my palms to sweat, my heart to pound. I paint myself into corners all the time. Wow. I go home. My wife knows if it's a red wine night or a bourbon night based on the <laughs> expression of my face. And she always <laughs> says, don't worry, you'll figure it out tomorrow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's part of the fun for me is being on, I get to ride the ride first, basically. So I mm. ride it, make sure it's safe. It works. It's exhilarating. It's thrilling. Uh, and then I invite everybody else. Come on. The roller coaster is ready to go. Jump in. Let's, nice. let's take off. Yeah. And, and that works for you. That's incredible. Incredible. I love that. So then I guess my next question, you know, do you have your next book in mind? Is, is there, Anything working back there? I do. I'm already writing it. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. Uh, we got to so tell our already, listeners. We got to tell our listeners. You write, you release a book a year. I do. That's I incredible. Do. And that's, yeah, it's hard. Uh, but it's, it's seat of pants, a seat of chair, as one writer once said. Uh, and I love uh, the quote from Jack London, which is, you can't wait for inspiration. You have to go after it with a club. And that's, <laughs> that's true. And when the muse does show up, you have to listen to her. You ignore the muse at your peril. You Absolutely. argue with the muse at your peril. She mm -hmm. will fly away and wait until you're absolutely desperate. And if you're lucky, she'll come back and say, you should have listened to me. You wouldn't That's have wasted all this time. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. I want to tell our listeners, too, that, th that there is a playlist for this book on Spotify. Mm -hmm. And they can find it at your website, which is bradthor.com. Um, talk to us about this playlist and your inspiration for these particular songs. Well, so. For almost all of my books until last summer, I always had an Easter egg in there, one funk song. Because I Hard noticed you had one of, funk song. I would put one funk song in <laughs> up until last year's book. And I didn't do it last year. I didn't do it this year. I did in the playlist. There is a song in the playlist, but not yeah. in the book. Yeah. Um, in the book, I actually went for a classic rock thing with... Because it was an experience that I'd had uh, driving in a weird place in Europe where I was flipping around the channels and it was all folk music, folk music, folk music, folk music, classic rock, classic, uh, you know, British and American rock. And I was like, oh, fantastic. Okay, I can listen to this because there's no freaking accordions or wooden shoes jumping up and down. And, um, and so I thought, okay, that's a real life experience I've had. I'm going to put it in the book for Harveth. Plus, it, it's a song from the Rolling Stones. And I actually investigated a little bit and I was fascinated with how uh, Mick Jagger described the song. And a couple books ago, I had done uh, American Pie by Don McLean in one of my books because I was fascinated with the story about how American Pie is not just this really cool song, but it's actually a warning to America about what's about to come. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just kind of a fun little thing. So I did that. And so it created the Spotify list of classic rock, uh, there is kind of a funky type song in there. And it was just a neat way to get fans and readers excited about the arrival of Near Dark. It was a way to just give a little taste, set the table, if you will, set the mood before the book That's came out. Super cool idea. Yeah, yeah. I was super excited to see that. And I did notice, hmm, there's 
interesting. There's one funk song in here. <laughs> so mm-hmm. now, I, now I know the Easter eggs to look for. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been a delightful I, conversation. I love your book. I can't wait to read more. And I recommend to our listeners, go out and buy this book, Near Dark. It is fantastic. Well, sight unseen, us never having met. I can't thank you enough, Jennifer, for doing this. It's really kind of you. I really appreciate it. And by the way, I'm sorry if I haven't been looking at you because technically on my screen, you're like right here. So I have to keep reminding myself, don't look at Jennifer, look at the camera. It's the, I'm still getting used to this. It's It's so tough. It's really tough. Actually, I want to say you did a really good job. I noticed that you looked at the camera and at me a lot. And I was like, wow, he's really good at this. So I try. I took off <laughs> my glasses because the lights get reflected. I'm trying. I, we're all adapting, right? In the That's COVID right. era. That's right. That's right. We are Ideally. all learning. Hi. Yeah, we are. <laughs> and we all, and speaking of all the technical issues, and we need to apologize to the listeners out there, Facebook had a little bit of an issue. Mm. So it dropped off. And so. Um, I just want to let everybody know that if you're still with us, we'll take some questions. But also, um, the other thing is that I'm recording this. So, and I put this into the chat. I'm going to put this on our YouTube channel. So, the whole conversation will be on our YouTube channel too. So, people can go and look at that as well. Um, Because we did have one question from Anne, though, and I think Anne is still with us. So, she is one of the people that when you were originally talking about people who have like finished the book, like, uh, and it was just released in a minute. Yeah. In a minute. <laughs> and it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, that has to be great. And then frustrating because it's like, okay, now <laughs> you've got to write another book. <laughs> yeah. You got to wait a whole year for the next one. Wait a yeah. whole year for the next one. But her question is, um, you've been writing Scott Harvath for a long time. Do you have any plans to not write a Harvath book? Yeah, I do. So I have a pet project, a passion project that I've long said, if I could just get a little extra time, be careful what you wish for. I had a lot of extra time now because we're not going out to dinner. There's no soccer games. There's no whatever. So we're around a lot. So there is there is something still a thriller but completely separate from Harvest universe. No crossover, no cameo appearance by Harvest. And I've wanted to do it for a long time because I think it's just this explosive, really, really cool idea that nobody has done. I could see Hollywood picking it up like that. And there is part of me in the back of my brain that wonders, could this be like a ridiculous breakout where after it comes out, people go, why didn't you write this book 20 years ago? You know, if you had been thinking, would you have done this 20 years ago? And of course I wouldn't. I, I love what I've done with Harvath and I'm not going to stop writing this series. But there is part of me that wants to roll the dice, do this just because I have to get it. It's the crazy thing. And Jennifer knows this. Writers have to write. They write because they have no choice. It's the only way to silence uh, the stirring in your heart and the voices in your head. <laughs> Yeah, you'll go nuts. It's like Davy Berkowitz, the dog told him to do it. You know, the son of Sam killer. You have to get it out and onto the page. So I have to do this one, but part of me wants to do it just to see what happens, to see, you know, finally you'll get the respect of even the most uh, steadfast uh, fiction hater critics out there, the ones that don't like popular fiction, that sneer at the beach read and all that kind of stuff. It would be cool. So we'll see what happens. No, nice. kind of fun for you. I might just say for something to like do something a little different, you know? Yeah, palette cleanser. Right. Because I when when the same article that you guys read about the UT, I loved one of the things that you said in that in your parting statement was if it was easy, it would be boring. And so nice. you've got to do something that like keeps the juices going. Yep. So talk to us a little bit, and I don't know if I can get this on here. This is the card oh. that people will oh, I don't know where it's one of the cards. 
Okay, so, so is this an exclusive to Warwick's? No, no. what we okay. did is to thank the wonderful venues, the bookstores that have had us. We I put together we, uh, with my team, but I picked four special plot things out of the book. And I found okay. four gorgeous photographs. And then um, I wrote a little bit about each one and why it was critical for the book. So these are limited edition only. So people have to buy their book from, from you who are watching okay. to get this. And then what we did was is uh, we sent you a, a stack that has an assortment of all four. So you can choose what goes into a book. So that's Mont Saint-Michel, which plays a role in the book. Mm-hmm. There's one for Camp David. There's one all about a, uh, a quote from Jean-Paul Sartre and darkness and what darkness does in the book. And then there's one, which is another location in the book, a particular hotel with this gorgeous picture of the hotel taken from the ocean. And I explain why that is unique and special for the novel. So it's kind of a thank you to to folks that bought the books to support our beautiful independent uh, bookstores and libraries that we're working with this year. So, but if you don't get it now, you don't get it from Warwick's, you're not going to get it. So that's, that's the reason why you want to buy it. Buy your book from Warwick. Excellent. So we've been That's promoting awesome. that. And so we will make sure that we keep promoting that out there. So um, like I said, we we're having a little bit of technical difficulty. So I don't have a lot of questions. So I get to do my lightning round with you, Brad. So oh, are you ready okay. for this? <laughs> I'm ready. It's just one of those first, there's just one of those fun things Let's like loosen up here. <laughs> get to know Brad. There's only like five of them. So first concert. Uh my first concert. Oh my gosh. Duran Duran. Ooh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's yeah. a great concert. It's a great concert. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. like the wolf. Yeah. There you go. Nice. Okay. Beer or wine? Uh, I'm a beer guy. Okay. I like wine too, but I, I, I do enjoy beer. Yeah. Okay. You're a fit guy, but I'm going to ask this question anyways. Burger mm-hmm. or pizza? Uh, we make our own pizzas at home. I'm a big pizza guy. So yeah, we do our own. I love them. I'm a pizza guy. I, but you know what? When I would travel overseas, the first thing I would do when I'd come back is kiss the ground and I get the biggest cheeseburger I could find. So if you said right now, Brad, we can make it materialize because I am so fit and so serious about my diet that pizzas are small. I'm dying for like a steak, uh, 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 Shake Shack burger. And there's yep. actually something called goldbelly.com and you can get them. And I'm yeah. actually, my birthday's coming up next week. Uh, month in a few weeks. And so my thing is we're going to get this eight pack of Shake Shack cheeseburgers and that's what I'm going to have for my birthday. That's awesome. (laughs) That's fantastic. Um, So you are fit, but people like to know this too. Favorite dessert? Oh, I'm a, I'm an ice cream guy. I like ice cream. I'm a big uh, chocolate ice cream or Heath ice cream, Heath bar Mm. ice cream with chocolate sauce. I'm a, I love ice cream. I can, I can just go and go and go. And, uh, what was everything but the is a, um, Ben Ben and Jerry's and my son, we found, I used to eat it all the time before my son was born. And so we found out he had a peanut allergy and oh, that's no. got Reese's peanut butter cup stuff in there. And we have no peanuts in the house. So that used to be my favorite, but now Heath bar ice cream has taken over. And I love the Klondike bars with the Heath ice cream inside. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. My husband would be, my husband's all over that too. <laughs> and last one is what is the first place that you want to go to when this um, is lifted, when this, when the travel is lifted, where will you go? Greece. Mm. Again, back to Greece. Yeah. Back to my Island in Greece. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. 
Well, this was a fantastic interview. Jennifer, tell people out there where they can find you. And if they want to follow you, what's the best way to do that? Okay, but I want to ask Brad one more question. Okay. <laughs> of course. I had like 50 questions. We only got through like a third of them. Throughout reading your book, I found myself excited about food. At one point, it was 10 o'clock at night, and I wanted to get up and go make myself an omelet because of the way you ah. described an omelet. And I thought to myself, this guy cooked. Am I right? Yeah. I do, but that omelet that I write about in the book actually exists. It's considered one of the best omelets in the world. I've been to that restaurant twice. Okay. I went once, and then another time I took my wife there. Actually, on our honeymoon, we had we had gone. So that omelet exists. So, but it's it's fantastic. It's great. But yeah, I cook. My wife's a much better cook than I am, uh, and I probably am not shouldering enough of the load during the <laughs> pandemic. So, I am on the the New York Times website. I subscribe for their food section because you can get the great recipes and keep in yeah. a recipe box. Yeah. So, I'm actually very proud that I've been finding stuff that even my picky eater daughter likes to eat. So, God bless the New York Times food section. It's been fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm glad I got to answer that question. It was very important. Welcome. Food's so, an important question in this in this shutdown. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's exactly right. So people can follow me at monkeycmedia.com, our company, and they can listen to the premise at thepremisepod.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at premisepod.com at podpremise.com. Opposite. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then Brad, how about you? What's about what, what's your favorite is Twitter? What's your favorite form of keeping in touch with your fans? Yeah, so I used to be big on Twitter, and I dialed back. And the day I was like, yeah, I'm kind of getting, I'm, I'm just not happy here. Everybody's really angry and fighting mm -hmm. a lot. And that mm -hmm. day, I saw the perfect tweet, which says Twitter is like giving the dumbest person you know a bullhorn. And I just <laughs> said, that I'm out. Does it. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> so I post. I post fun pictures on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I converse with fans and have lovely conversations with some of the most beautiful people on Facebook. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can find my Instagram, find my Facebook, all via bradthor.com. That's the Perfect. great clearinghouse. I try to put up extra stuff for fans there, some behind the scenes stuff or a little bit deeper look at cities that are in the book. I do little travel guide things and stuff. So bradthor.com is a lot of fun. Just, just go it's there. You'll cool. lead you to everything else. Yeah. I was fine. so impressed by your website. Cause I mean, we build websites for authors and mm -hmm. I'm constantly telling them to engage and give something extra and, you know, give people a reason yeah. to come back. Let them get to know you. And you just nailed it. I love your website. Oh, nice job. That, well, you're in the biz. So that's, that's high praise indeed, Jennifer. Thank you. <laughs> um, do you say, cause I loved watching you when you were on the, do you still get to do the today show and do the recs on the today show? Well, it's funny. I was scheduled to go before coronavirus really exploded. And I felt bad. I felt like, okay, I'm the sky is falling guy. And I had to tell my publicist, I said, David, I can't do it. Please tell them I love them. But I'm really worried. I think New York, they're not there yet, but it's going to explode. I'm hearing things. I'm just uncomfortable. And I canceled. And like two days later, everybody started doing remote from home. Uh, so, but yes, to your answer, I just got a call from, uh, we just got a call. David did my publicist from the Today Show. I'm going to be uh, doing a fall book, books pick with them in September. We're going to do it via Zoom. 
And uh, so we're firing up for fall, telling people great books that they should read. So I'm already reading a whole bunch of different, I got young adults here, some nonfiction and all this kind of stuff that I'm, I'm going through so I can have great picks for fall. Yeah, because that is always, that segment is such a great segment. Yep, there's the, and, and that card, I want everybody to be able to like know that they can uh, pick that. Let's see if I can bring that card back up. And again. by yeah, the way, Julie, I should say that not only if you order the book from Warwick's, you're not only going to get one of these cool five glossy five by seven cards that I put together, but you'll also get a signed custom book plate from yeah. me. And those awesome. are exclusive to the, to the tour. You won't see those anywhere else. Yeah. That's it. I got a so, picture. Oh that yeah. So too. that's, that's the thing that's in there. That's uh, that yeah. almost looks like, hello, my name is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're at a convention. <laughs> yeah. Boy, I, kill, I hate conventions. I'd kill to go to one. Now, oh, to book, ex- book expo. Okay. Yes. Do we all hate book expo? Like with a passion? I don't hate books. I don't hate it. I've been to some <laughs> other ones that are totally boring. My past yes. life before I was an author, but yeah, I had to do the book expo stuff via online, and it just it wasn't the same as meeting no. librarians and booksellers and just yeah. being able to shake hands and take pictures. I'm such a people person. I miss that. But uh, thank God this happened in the age of the internet. We'd be right. all going bonkers. Crazy. Crazy. Without Go this. And I don't hate book expo. My feet hate book expo. Oh, well, that's yeah, your, that's your back from all the yeah. books. you carry. My feet <laughs> hate book expo, but it's just like, it's a long four days. It's just like, whoa, it's a good. It's how good. I feel about SHOT Show in Las Vegas, which was the big one I would always go to. I, I would, my feet would be killing me. And then everybody wants to go out all night. And I'm right. Like, I find I need like the the rascal scooter that you see at all the senior homes and in the grocery store. You know, I'll paint flames on the side of mine so I don't feel too bad. I'm just we're all getting up that age, right? We're not in our twenties anymore. Hey. No, that's true. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Jennifer. I just turned 50 last week. Oh, happy birthday. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm looking at the downside to 60, so it's just like Jennifer, I turned 50 last summer and I made a decision. I said, 50 is going to crush me or I'm going to crush 50. And I decided to crush 50. Yeah. There is a great book, if you want, called Younger Next Year. I've had so many people recommend it to me and I picked it up. I was like, all right. My doctor even said, you should read this book. I'm like, all right, stop. I'm tired of hearing about this book. It was the, and they have a, uh, they have a women's version of it too. They have a men's version and a women's version. It is so well written, so funny, so easy to get through. I have, I've been an exercise and diet guy forever. And it's the first book that I've said for the rest of my life, I will exercise six days a week. They made it so easy to understand the benefits of it. So, I, I mean, here we are There's now the getting into again. recommending books. What's There's that? The title again. You can't help it. Younger, I love it. Younger next year. Awesome. I'm right. You it down. will thank me. It is such a great book. I love it. At any age, just the idea of your body's constantly being ripped down. You're sitting there watching Netflix and all that kind of stuff. If you don't do something, atrophy is the natural state. Your body wants to break down. And if you don't mm-hmm. challenge it, you won't build it back up. Mm. There's no reason that you can't keep your great health into your 90s. 70% of the illnesses we suffer can be can be avoidable. I, I sound like such 50s. a such I love a it. Love it. Yes. <laughs> We're going to, you're going to, we're going to see you on the con on the um, convention floor. Like you'll be able to ask me to be the hawking that book at the next PDA, right. right? Heard you love it, Brad. You were really good <laughs> on the Warwick's uh, live stream and the podcast. 
Look, you're so nice, Jennifer. Your arm's killing you, and you're no. I want to hold it up. Everything. It's awesome. I love it. People need to see it. Exactly. Well, Thank we're going to close out just real quick. I want to remind people that um, warwicks.com, you can sign up for email and find out about more of these wonderful events. Um, the, like I said, this video will be on YouTube tonight after I get it up there so that everybody who had a little bit of problem, I apologize for the Facebook issue. I don't know what was going on with that. We're live with it and it's looking like it's fine, but it dropped out a couple of times. So apologies for that. I'm not sure what happened there. Um, Brad, thank you. This was oh, amazing. Thank you for having me. I really, yeah. really appreciate it. And, uh, you are in La Jolla, one of my favorite places in the world. This has just been so much fun. Thanks for sharing me with your audience. And again, Jennifer, thank you, Jennifer, thank you. for agreeing to do this. You were, you were fantastic. Thanks for all the great questions. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. So we're going to go off live now. So bye. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. This has been a Warwick's sponsored interview. Until next time, stay safe.